Chapter Five of Rose Mather: A Tale by Mary Jane Holmes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Five, Jimmy. There were loving words being breathed into Rose's ear when she came back to consciousness, and there was something familiar in the touch of the hand bathing her brow and smoothing her tangled hair but rose was too weak and sick to notice who it was caring for her so tenderly until she heard the voice saying to her is my daughter better and then she threw herself with a wild scream of joy into the arms which had cradled her babyhood sobbing piteously oh mother mother willie has gone to the war willie has gone to the war it was very strange rose thought that her mother's tears should flow so fast and her face wear so sad an expression just because of will who was nothing but her son-in-law then it occurred to her that tom might be the occasion of her sadness but when she spoke of him asking why her mother had not prevailed on him to stay at home mrs carleton answered promptly i never loved him one half so well as on that night when he told me he had volunteered he would be unworthy of the carleton blood he bears were he to hesitate a moment and the eye of the brave new england matron kindled as she added if i had twenty sons i would rather all should die on the federal battlefield than have one turn traitor to his country oh jimmy jimmy my poor misguided boy it was a piteous cry which came from the depths of that mother's aching heart a cry so full of anguish that rose was startled and asked in much alarm what it was about jimmy had she heard from him and was he really dead no rose and in the mother's voice there was a hard bitter tone no not dead but better so than what he is oh i would so much rather he had died when a little innocent child than lived to bear the name he bears what name mother what has jimmy done do tell me you frighten me you look so white and rose clung closer to her mother who with quivering lip and faltering voice told her how her recreant runaway jimmy had joined the confederate army under beauregard and was probably then marching on to washington to meet her other son in deadly conflict it might be his hand the very one perhaps to speed the fratricidal bullet which should shed a brother's life-blood no wonder that her heart grew faint when she thought of her boy as a rebel ay a rebel of ten times deeper dye than if he had been born of southern blood and reared on southern soil for the roof-tree which sheltered his childhood was almost beneath the shadow of bunker hill's monument and many an hour had he sported at its base playing directly above the graves of those brave men who fell that awful day when the fierce thunders of war shook the hills of boston and echoed across the smoky waters of the bay far up the lofty tower too as high as he could reach his name was written with his own boyish hand and the mother had read it there since receiving the shameful letter which told of his disgrace climbing up the weary winding flight of stairs she had looked through blinding tears upon that name james madison carleton half hoping it had been erased it seemed so like a mockery to have it there on freedom's monument and know that he who bore it was a traitor to his country yet there it was just as he left it years ago and with a blush of shame the mother crossed it out just as she fain would have crossed out his sin could that have been but it could not she knew that jimmy was in the southern army and not wishing to speak of it at home where he already bore no envied name she had come for sympathy to her only daughter and it was well for both she did for it helped to divert rose's grief into a new and different channel 
to set her right on many points and gradually to obliterate all marks of what some had called secession tom had been her pride the brother she honoured and feared while jimmy nearer her age was more a companion of her childhood the one who teased and petted her by turns one day putting angle-worms in her bosom just to hear her scream and the next spending all his pocket-money to buy her the huge wax doll she saw in the shop-window down on washington street and coveted so badly such were some of rose's reminiscences of jimmy and while time had softened down the horrid sensation she experienced when she felt the cold worms crawling on her neck it had not destroyed the doll the handsomest she had ever owned nor made her cease to love the teasing boy she could not feel just as her mother did about him for she had not her mother's strong patriotic feeling but her tears flowed none the less while she too half wished him lying beneath the summer grass in beautiful mount auburn how did you hear from him she asked when her first burst of grief was over and her mother replied by taking out a letter on which rose recognized her brother's handwriting he sent me this mrs carleton said and tearing open the letter she read it aloud to rose richmond virginia june eighteen sixty one dear mother pray don't think you've seen a ghost when you recognize my writing you thought me dead i suppose but there's no such good news as that i'm bullet-proof i reckon or i should have died in new orleans last summer when the yellow fever and i had such a squabble i was dreadfully sick then and half wished i had not run away for i knew you would feel badly when you heard how i died with nobody to care for me and was tumbled into the ground head sticking out as likely as any way i used to talk about you old martha said and about rose too dear little rose i actually laid down my pen just now and laughed aloud as i thought how she looked when i treated her to those worms telling her i had a necklace for her didn't she dance and didn't tom thrash me too till i saw stars well he never struck me a blow amiss though i used to think he did i was a sorry scamp mother the biggest rascal in boston but i've reformed i have upon my word and you ought to see how the people here smile upon and flatter me telling me what a nice chap i am and all that sort of thing in short mother to come at once to the point and not spend an hour in arguing as tom used to do when he took me up in the attic where he kept the gads you know in short i've been naturalized have sworn allegiance to the future southern monarchy and am as true as southern blood as you would wish to see i've got a palmetto cockade on my cap a tiny confederate flag on my sleeve and what is best of all i've joined the southern army under beauregard and shall shortly bring the war to the threshold of the capital licking the yankees there congregated like fun it's about time now mother for you to ring for margaret you'll want the camphor and make a fuss of course so while you are enjoying that diversion i'll go and practice a little with my gun you know i could never hit a barn without shooting twice but i'm improving fast and shall soon be able to pick off a yankee at a distance of a mile two o'clock p m well mother i take it for granted you are nicely tucked up in bed with the curtains drawn and a wet rag on your head as the result of what i've told you i'm sorry that you should feel so badly and wish i could see you for an hour or so as i could surely convince you we are right we have been browbeaten and trodden upon by the north until forbearance has ceased to be a virtue and now that they've thrown down the gauntlet we will meet them on their own terms 
i dare say that they have made you believe that we struck the first blow by firing into sumter but mother those northern papers do lie so all except the herald and a few others which occasionally come within a mile of the truth but even they have been bribed recently or something if you want the unbiased truth of the matter subscribe for the richmond examiner or better yet the charleston mercury whose editor is a new england man and of course is capable of judging right he knows what has brought on this war he'll tell you how the south carolinians generously bore the insult of the federal flag flying there defiantly in their faces until they could bear it no longer and so one day we pitched in i say we for i was there in fort moultrie and saw the fight but did not join for the brave fellows out of compliment to my having been born near bunker hill said i needn't so i mounted a cotton bale and looked on feeling i'll admit some as i used to on the fourth of july when i saw how noble old sumter played her part and once when a shell burst within ten feet of me turning things generally topsy-turvy and blowing shirt-sleeves and coat-sleeves and waistbands and boots higher than a kite i was positively guilty of hurrahing for the stars and stripes i couldn't help it to save me and yet mother i believe the north wrong and the south right but so generous a people are we that all we ask now is for you to let us alone and if the lincolnites won't do that why then we must stoop to fight the mudsills it's all humbug too about the negroes being on the verge of insurrection a more faithful devoted set i never saw they'll fight for their masters until they die every man of them tom will tell you that what are his politics bell and everett i dare say so there's no danger of my meeting him in battle and i'm glad of it for to tell the truth i should feel rather ticklish raising my gun against old tom maybe though he is humbugged like the rest and forms a part of that unit said to exist at the north what sort of a thing is that mother what does it look like democrats and republicans abolitionists and garrisonites all melted in one crucible and bearing abraham's image and superscription i wish i could see it must have changed mightily round boston from what they used to be when they quarrelled so some against and some for southern rights and southern people but strange things happen nowadays and it may be tom too has turned his coat and taken sides with the federals if so all i can say is tommy oh tommy beware of the day when southern bloods meet thee in battle array for a field of weak cowards rushes full on my sight and the ranks of the yankees are scattered in flight won't we rout them though i shall fight next time i've played pollywog long enough i am regularly enlisted now am a rebel as you call us at home nothing very bad about that either as i can prove to you if you'll take the trouble to hunt up my old dog-eared history of the united states where washington is styled by the british the rebel chief the south are only doing what the thirteen did in seventy six trying to shake off the tyrant's yoke it's the same thing precisely only the shoe is on the other foot and pinches mightily we did not at first intend to subjugate the north but maybe they'll provoke us to do it if they keep on now however we only want or rather did want a peaceable separation and you may as well yield to it first as last what do you intend doing with us anyway suppose you succeed in licking us hold us as a conquered province just as england holds ireland much good that will do you it will be some like keeping a mad dog chained so tightly that he cannot get away but is none the less snappish and non come at table for that no no acknowledge our independence 
and call home the chaps you have dragged from poorhouses and state prisons lanes and ditches and sent to fight against southern gentlemen this to me is the most humiliating feature of the whole and if i must be shot or taken prisoner i hope it will be by some one worthy of my steel this last i am writing for old tom's benefit give him my compliments and tell him nothing would please me more than to welcome him to our camp some day dear little rose perhaps she would not let a rebel kiss her and i don't know but i'd turn federal for half an hour or so for the sake of tasting her sweet lips once more i do love rose and i feel a mysterious lump in my throat every time i look at her picture taken just before i left home i never show it for somehow it would seem like profanation to have the soldiers staring at it so i wear it next my heart and when i go into battle i shall keep it there perhaps it will save my life who knows i am getting tired and must close ere long now mother please don't waste too many tears over me the time will come when you'll see we are right and if it will be any consolation i will say in conclusion that i have written a heap worse than i really believe i am not a fool i understand exactly how the matter stands but i like the southern side the best i think they are just as near right as the north and i am going to stick to them through thick and thin we shall have a battle before long and this may be the last time i'll ever write to you i've been a bad boy mother and troubled you so much but if i'm shot you will forget all that and only remember how with all my faults i loved you still you and tom and little rose more than you ever guessed by the way i believe i'll send you a lock of my hair cut just over my left ear where you used to think it curled so nicely perhaps it will enhance its value if you know i severed it with a bowie knife such as i now carry with me tell rose i'll send her a calico dress by and by it will be the most costly present i can make her if the blockade is carried out but it won't be that old bull across the sea will be goring you with his horns first you know then you'll have a sweet time up there beset before and behind and possibly annexed to canada but i don't want to make you feel any bluer than you are probably feeling so good-bye good-bye your affectionate rebel james m carleton p s i shall send this to washington by a chap who is going to desert you know and join the federals with a pitiful story about having been pressed into the rebel service telling them too how poor and weak and demoralized we are how a handful of troops can lick us and so draw them into our web as a spider tempts a fly don't you see they offered me that honour knowing that a son of george carleton twice m c from massachusetts and now defunct would be above suspicion and would thus gather a heap of items but hang me if i could turn spy on any terms so i respectfully declined you see i am quite a somebody owing to my having had sense enough to wait until i was twenty-one ere i ran away and so bringing a part of my property with me money makes the mare go here as elsewhere but i'm about running out i wish you could send me a few thousand can't you and this was jimmy's letter over which the mother had wept far bitterer tears than any she shed when her eldest-born bade her his last farewell giving to her just as jimmy had done a lock of his brown hair she had it with her now and she laid them both on rose's hand the dark brown lock and the short black silken curl which twined itself around rose's finger as if it loved the snowy resting-place rose's first impulse was to shake it off as if it had been a guilty thing but the sight of it recalled so vividly the handsome saucy face and laughing mischievous black eyes it once had helped to shade that she pressed it to her lips and whispered sadly dear jimmy 
i cannot hate him if i try nor see how he is greatly at fault while in her heart was the unframed prayer that god would care for the rebel boy and bring him back to them mrs carleton was proud of her family name proud of her family pride and she shrank from having it known how it had been disgraced so after rose's first grief was over she bade her keep it a secret and rose promised readily never doubting for a moment her ability to do so rose had already borne much that morning excessive weeping for her husband added to what she had heard of jimmy took her strength away and she spent that first weary day in bed sometimes sobbing bitterly as the dread reality came over her that will was really gone and again starting up from a feverish broken sleep with the idea that it was all a dream or a horrid nightmare from which she should at last awake callers were all excluded and with a delicious feeling that she was not to be disturbed rose late in the afternoon lay watching the western sunlight dancing on the wall when a step upon the stairs was heard and in a moment widow sims appeared her sharp face softening into an expression of genuine pity when she saw how white and wan rose was looking they tried to keep me out she said that brawny cook of yours and that filigree waiting-maid but i would come up and here i am then sitting down by rose she told her annie had sent her there she's sorry for you the widow said and she sent this to tell you so and the widow handed rose a tiny note written by annie graham once rose would have resented the act as implying too much familiarity but her heart was greatly softened while had she tried her best she could not have regarded annie graham in the light of an inferior tearing open the envelope she read my dear mrs mather i am sure you will pardon the liberty i am taking my apology is that i feel so deeply for you for i understand just what you are suffering understand how wearily the hours drag on knowing as you do that with the waning daylight his step will not be heard just by the door making in your heart little throbs of joy such as no other step can make i am so sorry for you and i had hoped you at least might be spared but god in his wisdom has seen fit to order it otherwise and we know that what he does is right still it is hard to bear harder for you than for me perhaps and when this morning i heard the car signal given i knelt just where i did when my own husband went away and asked our heavenly father to bring your willie back in safety and mrs mather i am sure he will for i felt even then an answer to my prayer something which said it shall be as you ask dear mrs mather try to be comforted try to see the brighter side try to pray and be sure the darkness now enveloping you so like a pall will pass away and the sunshine be the brighter for the cloud come and see me when you feel like it and remember you have at least two friends who pray for you one at the father's right hand in heaven and one in her cottage in the hollow annie graham rose had not wept more passionately than she did now as she kissed the note and wished she were one half as good as annie graham but i am not she said and never shall be tell her to keep praying until will comes home again i will tell her returned the widow but wouldn't it be well enough to try what you can do at it yourself and not leave it all for her try what i can do at praying rose exclaimed i can't do anything only the few words i always say at night and they have nothing in them about will brought up like a heathen muttered the widow feeling within herself that to the names of her own sons and captain carleton william mathers must now be added when as was her daily custom she took her troubles to one who has said cast your burdens upon the lord for he careth for you 
we'll both remember your husband miss graham and i so don't fret yourself to death she said soothingly as rose broke into a fresh burst of tears it isn't him so much rose sobbed though that is terrible and it will kill me i most know but there's something else that ails me a great deal worse than that at least mother has made me think it is though i can't quite see how having one's brother join the rebel army is so very bad rose forgot her promise of secrecy just as her mother might have known she would the story of the carleton disgrace was told and perfectly aghast the horrified widow listened to it your brother a rebel she almost shrieked a good-for-nothing ill-begotten rebel i thought you said he was a captain of a company and mentally the widow struck from her list of names that of poor scandalized tom that very moment perspiring at every pore as he went through with his evening drill within the federal camp no no rose cried vehemently not tom i have another brother a younger one jimmy we call him did you never hear of jimmy who ran away more than a year ago never and the staunch patriot of a widow pursed up her thin lips with an expression which plainly said the carleton family had fallen greatly in her estimation in spite of all tom had said of isaac rose however was not good at reading expressions and taking it for granted the widow wanted to hear all about it she told her what she knew marvelling much at the rigid silence her auditor maintained isn't it shameful she asked when she had finished shameful yes i hope he'll be catched and hung higher than haman i'll furnish the rope to hang him was the indignant widow's reply and ere rose could quite make out what ailed her she had said good afternoon and banging the door behind her was hurrying off muttering to herself something wrong in their bringin up needn't tell me i'd like to see my boys turn and traitor the rascal and as by this time the widow had reached the shop where she was to stop for burning fluid she turned into the little store and catching up the can with a jerk spilt a part of its contents upon her clean gingham dress and then hurried off again with rapid strides toward the cottage in the hollow the carletons tom and all were below par in her opinion and kept sinking lower and lower until she reached the cottage where she gave vent to her wrath as follows a pretty how do you do up to miss Martha's? her brother jim has joined the cowardly sneakin low-lived contemptible rebels and is comin on to take washington the scallywag if things go on at this rate i'll join the army myself and tar and feather every one on em needn't tell me annie was no lover of gossip and knowing that the widow was terribly excited she made no reply except to pass her a letter bearing the washington postmark this had the desired effect and utterly oblivious of jimmy the widow tore open isaac's letter in which he spoke of captain carleton as being very kind to him and very popular with the soldiers i would fight for him till the very last isaac wrote he has been so good to me always noticing me with a bow when he comes into our regiment as he sometimes does and when he can speaking to me a pleasant word he knows i sawed his sister's wood for i told him so it seems so mean-like to be passing myself off better than i am and you know a soldier's dress does improve a chap mightily giving him kind of a dandy air why even harry baker and bill look like gentlemen though harry gets drunk awfully and has been in the guard-house twice but as i was saying captain carleton didn't appear to think it a bit less of me though he struck me on the shoulder and laughed kind of queer when i said why i told him i sawed mrs mather's wood 
and the next day i saw him talking with our colonel and heard something about sergeant and isaac sims and too young to be expedient then when i met him again he asked me wasn't i twenty-one in such a way that i knew he wanted me to tell him yes but mother i thought of that prayer we said together the morning i came away lead us not into temptation and i couldn't tell a lie though the answer stuck in my throat and choked me so but i out with it at last i said no sir i was only eighteen last thanksgiving and then his face had the same look it wore when i told him i was a wood sawyer and so i suppose you'll be nineteen next thanksgiving he said adding you don't know what you lost by telling the truth so frankly but the moral gain is much greater than the loss you are a brave boy isaac sims and worthy of being a second george washington i do like him so much can't you send him something mother if it's nothing more than the nice cough candy you used to make or some of that poke ointment i notice he coughs occasionally and i heard him say his feet were sore i'd like to give him something just to see his handsome white teeth when he laughed and said thank you my boy oh i would almost die for captain carleton surely after reading this the widow could feel no more animosity against the carletons on account of jimmy's sin every family must have a black sheep she said to annie though where hers was she could not tell it surely was not john nor eli nor isaac so she guessed it must have been the girl baby that died before it was born and for whom she shed so many tears she shouldn't do it again she'd bet for if it had lived it would most likely have cut up some rusty or other just as jim carleton had married bill baker like as not and with this consolatory reflection the widow took up isaac's letter for a second time resolving in her own mind that she would send that captain carleton something if she set up nights to make it i'm glad my boy didn't tell a lie she whispered softly to herself as she came again to that part of the letter poor weak human nature creeping in with the same thought and suggesting how grand it would be to have him sergeant sims with the increased wages per month it would have brought this was the old adam counselling within her while the new adam said better never to be promoted than lose his integrity and with a silent prayer for the boy who would not tell a lie the widow folded up the letter and then repeated to annie the particulars of jimmy carleton in a much milder manner than she would have done an hour before so much good little acts of kindness do stretching on link after link until they reach a point from which they recoil in blessings on the doer's head thus captain carleton's friendly words to isaac sims were the direct means of saving his mother and sister from the bitter prejudice the rockland people in their then excitable state might have felt toward them had widow sims told the story of jimmy in the spirit she surely would have told it had it not been for isaac's timely letter this together with a little judicious caution from annie changed her tactics and though she that very night had several opportunities for telling how miss mathers's brother was a rebel and that miss mathers couldn't see the mighty harm in it if he was she kept it to herself speaking only of the noble tom so kind to her boy isaac End of chapter five